We're glad that you're here this morning with us. If you're here, children's church, okay. Um, we do have children's church this morning. Um, so children may be dismissed out the back door. I uh, got caught up in thinking that with Sarah Hurley out, uh, we would not be having children's church. But children may be dismissed for children's church. Good. If you are here uh, this morning visiting, we're, we're really glad that you are here, and um, uh, we hope that, that Parkside Bible Fellowship might become your church home, and uh, we'd love to be able to, to visit with you a little bit more after the service or during the week. Um, whatever might work out, it would be a, a privilege to come and, and share more about the ministry here at Parkside Bible Fellowship with you in person. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Judges. So um, if you take your Bible and turn to Judges chapter 7, we're in Judges chapter 7 this morning. And we are continuing on like it, it, with part 2 of our study on the life of Gideon. I can't help but think of what we talked about last week with the, the influence and the domination of a, a marauding, rampaging type of army that would come in and wipe things out in a society and then leave. And that's what uh, Gideon was, uh, and, and the people with Gideon were experiencing. And it is rather easy to track over to our day and age right here, right now. It is a... Uh, this whole thing of what happened in Roseburg, Oregon, and what's happening in South Carolina. Uh, I, I appreciate what Dale White mentioned in prayer time that might not be a big splash in the news but it happens all over the country, all over the place in different ways that shows that I can't help but think family unraveling, family being uh, pushed aside. Obviously, God's been pushed aside uh, by our country a long time ago thinking that we're good enough and we're smart enough and we're strong enough to fix our own problems and all that. But we continue to be reliant and dependent upon God in times like this, especially in times like this. You don't know what kind of influence you have in this community. I'm not saying that's a, it's a big thing. I'm just saying... you. You need to understand the influence that you might have with people around you in your circles that you can point them to a savior, point them to a hope. That's what, that's what CareNet needs, pointing young people to a hope that they have, that they can have. Pointing them to not just a hope, but a 
Savior. A Savior. I, I hope and pray that we as a congregation can be effective in sharing this message with people here in Fallon. Yeah, it's really cool that we can have lots of missionaries and see them, oh, they're over here and they're there. But you know what really matters is that you, 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 me, that we're being effective where we're put right here, that we're being effective in, in showing that there is something more to this life than the stuff of this world. That there is a Savior that we want to live for. There's a cause that we want to sacrifice for, and that is Jesus Christ. So, just, I want to encourage you in this way. Our passage today is about the ridiculous battle that lays before Gideon. I mean, this, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, what they're facing in going to battle against not just the Midianites, but the Amalekites and the, the other people of the East, whoever that was. And so we pick it up in chapter 7. Gideon has his troops with him now. They're in good position just outside this big valley where the Midianites are camped. And it's, it's getting, here it is, it's nighttime now basically. And there's, in this story, again, many of us are familiar with the story of what happens here before the battle that uh, God calls Gideon to downsize. And this is a, a, a thought and a concept that is ridiculous. You, you just don't do that when you go into battle. In a battle, you need, let's bulk up, let's number up, let's get all the equipment out that we can and let's go. But if we really got it down to Understand this, that again, no matter how many numbers we have here, we're still going to be outnumbered, outgunned, out, outfought, and all this. But for God. But for God. That's what we want to see. We want to see what is God doing behind the scenes here in this, in this way. We've, uh, you've got an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow on along, please do so. We're going to uh, look at basically four points that God brought about, that God secured, because everyone's kind of on edge here. We've got to figure that out. And so, number one is that the troops are secured. You see that in your outline, and, and it's through two things that I believe we see here in verses 1 through 8. Two things come forth. It's through, number one, through God's wisdom. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. God's ways are not our ways, right? So it's through God's wisdom. God makes it clear. Gideon, you've got too many guys. We're going to shave it down. Now, listen. God has already made His statement about what's going to happen. He's already told Gideon this. Already done that. And so God does not offer empty promises. Lock that in. God does not offer empty or phony promises. 
He stated his intention. He stated he will defeat the Midianites. But he's wanting to do it in such a way that shows that truly he has done it and no one else can take the credit for it. This is God's wisdom. And so it's his method of downsizing. We say, oh, it's downsizing. Well, I say it's, it's making no room for man's glory. And that's what we're going to see in the next point, letter B. It's his method of resizing. We tend to read into this process. There's the first round. It's like, oh, well, yeah, it's all the guys that are scared. Well, yeah, let's get rid of them. But, you know, that was something allowed for in the Mosaic law. You look at Deuteronomy, you can just jot it down. Deuteronomy 20 talks about this. If a man's got, you know, if he's just been married or he's got something going on that's worthwhile and such, okay, he can go, and then in verse 8 of chapter 20, it says if if they're afraid, afraid, just let them go. Why? Because that fear is going to work on other guys, most likely. Let them just go. Why? Because even back there, even, even, you know, coming out of the, uh, the, the Exodus, being brought out of Egypt and delivered, even there, it was about who? Their strength? Their skill? No, it was about God's strength. And somehow we, we, we get a disconnect with that kind of thing as we go through the, the passages of Scripture. It's always about God. It's always about Him. If you're His child, if you are a child of God, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ that you're living your life, it's always about Him. He's sovereign. He's in control. You can trust that, even though you don't understand all that's going on. You can trust Him. He is sovereign. He is in control. He wants us to trust Him. So the first round of scaling down was about those that are afraid. And then the second round is about how they're going to drink. Yeah, the rest of these guys, 9,000 plus. 9,000 plus. It's like, what? I think it was 10,000 even. It says in the passage, 10,000 brought to the brook, brought to the stream. How are you going to drink? They're not even thinking about it necessarily. They're just going down and sticking their head in the brook or bringing water up to their mouth. And we... We look at this, we read it, and we think, oh, there's something behind that. And I'm not sure there is. We tend to think, oh, the guys that went and brought their hand down to the water and brought it up, they're the really wise guys. They're the, they're the kind of soldiers that you want. That might be the case. But you know what? Our next point tells us something else. So the troops are secured through God's wisdom, His ways, His will. And then letter B, it's for God's glory. That's the key. It's for God's glory that the troops get secured. That the, the, we're ready to go into battle. There's only one true motivation behind all of this. That's to give God the glory. And it says in verse 2, look at verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, lest Israel become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Again, folks, this is nothing new that God is saying. He's been saying this. And he says it again. It's about my glory, my strength, 
my victory. In other words, God does not want His glory to be shared by anyone. God's not going to share His glory. Okay? He doesn't want Israel to become boastful. He was resizing to make sure there's no chance, no way, no opportunity for anyone to boast in their own strength, in their own wisdom, or in their own insights. And remember, God had already said this kind of thing back, back coming out of Egypt, even in the wilderness, in the different battles they experienced. Remember Jericho? It wasn't about, you know, the people, you know, walking around the, the walls of Jericho. It's like they're just following their, their orders. Do you think there was something special about walking around Jericho? Well, yeah, there was, probably to point you and I to continue on persevering in good things like prayer. But really, it was God. It was God that brought it about. And don't we get that? I want to be reminded of this. You know, the victories that we can experience in our lives, in your family. It's not because you, you, you know, figured something out. It needs to go back to God, God's glory, God's honor, God's praise. So where is the true strength of the troops? Where's the true strength of the troops supposed to be? In recognizing it's not by great numbers, right? It's not by, you know, skillful ways. It's by His doing. Remember, let's connect now to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Just mark it down. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. Right? His strength is made, what? Perfect in weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So, Paul says, I will boast about my weakness. What? I don't, I've been taught I need to, you know, think of what I'm strong and really good at. You're really good at that. You're really good. I'm supposed to boast in my weakness? That's the connection here. That's what we see in the Old Testament. Here's what Paul brings forth. It's about His glory that we glory in Him. Psalm 29, another one to mark down. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord. What does that mean? It means give. Give to the Lord the glory and the strength due His name. Are you and I doing that in all the little life scenarios that we have? Are you doing that? Let's get more consistent with it. Let's be more consistent in this way of giving the glory to God. So, the troops really are now secure, ready to go. And in Christ's church, we had better hold high the banner of praising God, of magnifying Christ and His glory. We'd better learn the lessons of Israel to not make the same mistakes. That's why we have the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says, Now all these things happened to them, happened to Israel, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, as an example. And they were written for our admonition. They're given to us so that we'll learn. 
that we learn to trust God and give Him the glory. Say, that's really basic. Keep doing it. Remain consistent in it. Okay? So number two, point number two. Now we need to secure the leader. The leader is secured. Point number two. You've got verses 8 through 15 in chapter 7 of Judges. So the 300 men took their provisions and their trumpets into their hands and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel each to his tent but retained the 300 men and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now that same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hands. He said, there he says it again. But if you are afraid, verse 10, if you are afraid to go down, goeth Pura, your servant, goeth him down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. And so he went down with Pura, his servant, down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. So they walked down the hillside and into the edge of the big camp. The camp is filled. I mean, the, I'm sorry, the valley. It's filled with these guys. Okay? Now, let's pay attention to this. Our first point, it's, it is through God's prompting and letter A under number two. God's prompting is to give assurance and confidence to Gideon. God tells him, go, scout it out, scout out this camp area. Notice he doesn't tell him specifically where to go. He just says, go down there. This is interesting. <laughs> Hang with me here. God's acknowledged his fears. Whose fears? Gideon's. He's acknowledged them. God knows about it. And going down into the enemy camp, just on the edge there, behind the bushes, God intends to settle Gideon in what God has already been telling him all along the way. And God bless Gideon's servant. Think of that. The, the blessing of encouragement from this guy going with you when you're afraid. You're the leader. And you're afraid... You're, Here's your servant going with you in this. The encouragement that God provides there. Okay? Listen, He knows your fears. He knows mine. He knows them. And a lot of times we put down Gideon. We put down Moses. We put down other guys that we read of their fears. What, have you been cured of that? <laughs> have I been cured of my fears? No, I haven't. I I'm told what the resolution is. Trust God. Keep trusting God. I have to keep trusting Him. You say, oh, I learned that back when I was first saved. Really? Come on. Today is another day you need to learn about saying, I will trust my Lord for what, I, what I'm facing. Okay? So, jot down the reference, Psalm 103, verse 14 it says that he knows my frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Okay? And I just, this concept of how God responds to Gideon, God doesn't mock Gideon. God doesn't ridicule Gideon. Isn't that neat? God says, hey, 
I want you to go down and take your servant, go down and listen to what they're saying. Here's encouragement. And guess what? God has orchestrated it all. He's orchestrated this. What happens? Gideon and his servant go down. What, what do they hear? They get behind the bush. I don't know. They must be hiding. They get behind the bush and they hear the guy talking. And what does he say? Verse 13. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. In verse 13. And he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was stumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and, and struck it so that it fell. And turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his friend... The other Midianite answered and said, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. Okay, how did that happen? Can you say sovereignty? Can you say God's in control? Can you say God orchestrated something here? And God continues to orchestrate things in our lives. This is letter B. It's by God's providence. By God's providence. The enemy camp sprawled out all over the valley floor. And here's Gideon and Pura going in. And they're like, okay, um, we were told to go to tent number 14, spot number 14. Here, Oh, here it is. No, they didn't have that. It wasn't like good Sam's camping thing here. No, they just walked. Okay, let's, let's go behind this bush. We can hear, we can hear them already. And they're talking. It's by God's providence. So, and yeah, we as a people say this is not a, a coincidence. This is of God. We know that. God is demonstrating His control, His knowledge, and His work in building up Gideon for the task that lies ahead of him. Now think about it. The guy in the tent didn't make up the dream right there and then and there, did he? The dream already happened. It had already taken place. He had the dream. He's replaying it for the guy. He's repeating it here. It shows that God's in control. It shows that it's all under God's direction. And now what happens? Let her see. The leader is secured for God's praise. Let her see for God's praise. What happens in verse 15? Gideon is in awe. Now he worships. He's... He's worshiping. What does verse 15 say? And it came about when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation that he bowed in worship. He bowed in worship. It doesn't tell us how long. It just said he responded in worship. What a good lesson for us. You know, we see God's hand. We see God's um, working. Do you respond in worship? Do you stop and say, "Let's"? I'm going to worship God here. I want to give him thanks. And so, what's the... Really, I, I kind of think that this, this business uh, under 2C, 
I kind of think this is the key passage. Why? Gideon's heart has now been captured. Captured by God. He's now enthralled. He's in worship. God's doing His good work to help His child come to this turning point in His life. And what happens? He's ready to lead. What does He say? Look at verse 15. He returns to the camp of Israel. He doesn't go back to his tent and kind of say, I want to get a cat nap before we go. No, what does he do? Immediately says, arise, here we go. We're ready. Confidence. God's going to bring about the victory. And he's he's got a confidence now in God, not in himself, in, in what God's doing. He's convinced, he's, he's caught, he's captured by God's person, by God's promise, by God's provision. Can you now see what takes place without it being said? Here is God's valiant warrior. Here's God's valiant warrior. And what has it been? Um, it's not, you know, some you know, personality strength test that he took and he passed it and uh, he's, you know, got the Tony Robbins diploma on his wall. No. Here's God's word, God's promise, God's presence helping him on to go in, in the leading. And so what's next? Number three is the victory is secured. The victory is secured. The troops are set. The leader is in. He's got God's blessing and and he's encouraged by God himself in this. The battle plan is revealed in in this. Here's the victory. The victory is secured. Letter A, it's through the few. This is kind of an overlap of what we've already said with God's wisdom earlier. The victory is secured through the few. And letter B, through the feeble. And then letter C, as a foreshadow. So letter A, through the few. Well, it's the 300. And it's not that the 300 are going to make any difference, but then the leader says, let's split up. <laughs> and, can, you know, the, the strategy's not been given yet. But he splits up the 300 into three groups. And here's the battle plan. Here's your trumpet. Here's your pitcher. And for the pitcher, there, there's supposed to be a little light in, inside the pitcher. And how many are we going up against, Gideon? This, if I'm a soldier, this does not make sense. But I will trust my leader. I'm going to trust God here. Here we go. And the battle plan is a bit uh, to show some deception unto the Midianites. So here we go. They blew the trumpets. They were to blow the trumpets. Okay? They're in three companies and they're all supposed to follow Gideon's lead. Gideon's going to start it and the others are supposed to follow. Okay? And so there's the few, the 300, split up into groups of 100. Then the feeble is really referring to the equipment or the weapons that they go in with, you know, now, it's interesting to note that the trumpets are normally carried by the leaders of the company. The trumpets are carried in that way, not by everyone. And here, 
what appears is everyone has trumpets. And they were supposed to blow the trumpets first. Then they had the pitchers, which inside these clay pots were, was the light, the torch. They were to break the pitchers, hold forth their torches, and then they were to cry out. There's the, the war cry. Okay, we've done this. We've blown the trumpet, busted the pitcher, hold forth the torch, cry out for the Lord, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now what? If, if, you know, some of you type A personalities are out there on the hillside, you're, you're thinking, I'm ready to go. Run down the hill. No. The fourth point is, which doesn't really stand out, is they what? They stood their position. They stood their ground. Okay? Yelling and blowing their trumpets, but they didn't run on ahead into the fight. So, there's some beautiful things here, as many of you might well know. Some beautiful things. Okay? The trumpets blaring forth the shofar, calling, uh, uh, declaring, in a sense, the presence of God. The presence of God. And here, if you're a Jew, you know that's what it's signifying. Here's the presence of God. These are only 300 people on the hillside dealing with 130,000 more Midianites. My goodness. But then they break the pitchers. They break them so that the light can shine forth. And it's here's the beautiful picture of the pottery kind of thing. It needs to be broken. And we say, why? What? To show the weakness factor, folks. It's showing forth the weakness factor. And here's God's light. God's light shining forth. And here's the battle cry. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 300 voices in different locations yelling this and trumpeting the sound of the trumpets. And here's the result. God bringing about the confusion in their camp causing them to turn their swords on one another. And oh, by the way, it says that there are camels, they're innumerable in number. And what happens when the, the camels hear the, not just the trumpets, but the, the cracking of the, the vessels? They get startled. They get going. They get running. So it's a very chaotic, confusing scene. And these soldiers down in the valley floor turn their weapons on each other. And those that aren't wounded or killed end up running. So, Psalm 20, just mark it down. Psalm 20 says, Some may boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. And so the victory is secured by God's method through God's strategy. Number four in your outline, that peace is secured. 
The peace is secured. Starting at verse 23. And the men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian. Take the waters before them as far as Beth-barah and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned and they took the waters as far as Beth-barah and the Jordan and they captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, which uh, while they pursued Midian and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. So peace has been secured. That eastern boundary near the Jordan River was secured. The enemies were captured. The two kings executed. Proper response from God's people, not to let them live, but to execute them. This is war. And then even in the beginning of chapter 8, Gideon has to turn into a, a counselor, if you will. And Gideon settles the, the complaint that arose and he gave wise and gracious counsel. So, that is a look at chapter 7, at what we see with Gideon. And we need to remember some things as we go into our time of communion. Let's remember, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are better. And especially in regards to salvation, my friend, Many people, especially in our community, have a way of salvation that they have uh, received from their church tradition or their family or whatever, and that seems what's best, and they're fine with that. But they need to hear of the gospel, the gospel that reconciles sinful man to a holy God. And they need to hear that from you and I. Okay? And it is backed up with a demonstration of a life that's been changed. God's ways are not our ways. We need to hold forth the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We need to remember God is truly in control. You and I, we know there's been plenty of times in our lives where we, how, how in the world can God be in control? I don't understand this. I hate this. I don't like this. Why, God? All the things that happen. And here's another testimony. Just one more testimony of God being in control in this very situation. Will you yield to that in your life? Will you receive that again by faith in your life? I even hate to say it like that because I think... Later today, maybe tomorrow, something will happen to you or me. And it's like, no, God, no! Why do we have to go through this again? And we stop and think, you know what? Were you ever promised to live forever in this life, in this body, on this earth? Why do we think that way? Why do we act that way in, in function? We need to remember He's truly in control. He is sovereign. 
Keep going back to what his word says and see, there he is again, a powerful, almighty, sovereign God that you and I must trust in. And then, thirdly, God uses us in our brokenness. It's similar to what I just said. And how often we take our vessel, this is, this is my vessel, there's your vessel, you're living in your vessel, and how often we do all sorts of different kinds of things with our vessel, my body. And how often I put way too much, way too much emphasis on my body. God has told us, your body is the temple, a temple, a place of worship for God alone. No other gods. We sang it this morning. No other gods. No, I want to worship God in my body and join with other believers as the body of Christ to worship Him, honor Him, to serve Him in the community. Why? To let that light shine. There's the light. The light shines in the darkness. And yes, it might cause the enemy to scatter. What happens when you start sharing the gospel? The gospel message. What happens? People have all sorts of excuses. All sorts of ways to deflect it. Oh, that might be good for you to believe. That's fine for you to believe. All sorts of ways. Or they say, no, there's no God. Right? All sorts of ways. But see, God continues to say, I I will use the weak and the broken, those with cracks, those who have the holes or the leaks. I'm going to repair them. I I will build them up. And God would say, no, there's no room for your pride or my pride to creep in to crowd out the light of the gospel. And see, that's what's happening in this day and age. Worldliness, Canaanite ways, Philistine ways crowd into your life and mine and crowd out the light of the gospel. And what do people see? They see you Making compromises. They see me making compromises. What's the deal? We're caught up with ourselves. Look at my pot. Look at my picture. How do you like it? You know, serious. We get into that. Now, yes, I want to look good. I want to, I want to do well in all that I do. But too often the emphasis is on your body, not the treasure within. The treasure within is the key if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the treasure is no treasure at all. You're lost, you're in darkness, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of life in Jesus. There's the treasure, my friend, there's the treasure. So these are, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this baby up here. And the last point is, God is certainly bigger than all our enemies. Amen? God is bigger than all the enemies. Let's respond to life's situation remembering that. God is bigger than all of our enemies. Listen, when 
our enemies seem bigger than God. Really what's happened is our focus is not on God, it's on ourselves or the problem. So we need to refocus and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. So we will finish next week um, about the life of Gideon. And uh, right now we want to turn our thoughts and attention to our Lord's Supper like the men were serving to please come at this time. Thank you. Oh, Dale. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. A little confusion there, sorry. Okay. I know that everyone in here typically has um, battles that they're facing, enemies that are knocking at the door. There needs to be a reliance upon God. Yes, let us cry out to God. And like like Gideon and his men, let's stand with God's people. Let's not run out into the battle by ourselves. Let's stand with God's people. Faith is placing your hope, your confidence in God. And Jesus has demonstrated this amazing love by going to the cross and dying there. In hoping in Him, We can find the strength to endure. Placing our hope in God. And He will show Himself as the true and faithful one in our lives. And here this morning, we give Him thanks for being able to participate in this time. We take it as a symbol, the cracker, signifying his body given over to a, a brutal, brutal beating. And the cup signifying that he shed his lifeblood for the remission of our sins and for your deliverance from condemnation and from the wrath of God. So we rejoice in this. Let's, let's pray together. Yes, Lord, we, we are people that need to recognize our, our great need. And so for Christians, Lord, we want to be forever thankful for what you have done on our behalf. Search out our hearts, O oh God. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, as we partake, may thanks and praise rise up to You for a perfect, 
sacrifice because of a perfect Savior. Do your good work here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.